Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast, the best podcast on the blabbernacle. I am your host, Brian Dillman. The episode for today is another installment in the Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist series. In this part of the series, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife answers two more questions. One, the effect of pornography use and previous sexual experiences on the other partner's desire for sex in a relationship. And two, the legitimacy of sexuality in long-distance marital relationships, i.e. phone sex. These are two situations that I'm sure many people will encounter in life and have to make decisions as to what they will do and how they might approach these situations. So let's jump right into the discussion with the good doctor. So we're here again with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife and Laurel and myself, Brian, to go through some of the questions that have piled up regarding sexual relationships. Uh, so Laurel, do we have any announcements before we get into the questions? There's an eclipse. <laughs> there is <Yep>. an eclipse. <laughs> but where I am, there are clouds. So there might as well not be one. I know, Jennifer, you just finished your courses online for how to talk to your kids about sex. And those are available. The recordings are available at this point. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So it turned out to be a four-week class when originally it was going to be three, but I just had too much I wanted to cover. And so, yes, those recordings are now available to purchase, and it includes monthly office hours where people can call in and ask questions about any of the course content and so on. So. All right, great. So uh, we'll leave a link for that, uh, as we have in every episode, to Jennifer's courses, so you can find that. Um, but at this point, let's jump right into the questions. Um, Laurel, do you want to take the first one? Well, here's our first question. Dear Dr. Finlayson Fife, first, thank you so much for your podcast series. I have found it very helpful and enlightening. I do have a question that I feel might be helpful to discuss. Prior to marriage, my husband has always been very open about his past sexual experiences, as well as a history of pornography. I fell in love and married him, not really realizing how much it would actually affect our sex life. I am that Mormon woman who had suppressed her sex drive so much that sex quickly became a chore as well as more of a depressive experience instead of a pleasurable one where his past experiences then became an issue for me where I fear he had better or I'm not enough. In addition, he has relapsed a time or two with his pornography addiction since we have been married. My husband has worked hard to repent and I don't believe bringing up his past mistakes will be helpful. How do I approach these issues in a productive manner with my husband so that we can come closer together instead of our sex life becoming a complete disaster? Okay, great question. And um, I think this is a very typical dynamic. So the issue of not having owned, as a woman, not having owned or integrated her own sexuality before marriage and then coming into a marriage where you feel like, your husband has had either previous sexual experience or has had some relationship with pornography or just is much more clear about his desires. And then, um, you know, and so then trying to discover and develop your sexuality in this particular case in a context of a husband's 
greater sexual awareness and a perception, I think, that she has of competition, competition with the pornography that he's viewed and competition with past sexual relationships that he's had. And I think that this meaning frame, as she's putting it in the question, I think really puts the focus on her husband's sexuality as the measure of her and her sexuality rather than I think the desired state of, as she's talking about, of co-creating a mutually satisfying relationship, um, a relationship that would be based on mutual pleasure and mutual enjoyment and where you both show up and you share yourselves with each other and learn from each other and care for each other through your sexuality. And I think because of the way that it's been framed, it's so focused on him that she doesn't know how to get to that experience of actual intimacy through sexuality. So I think there's maybe two issues, maybe more for her to think about with this. Um, um, I think the, the question that comes to my mind, and it's hard to not be able to have a back and forth dialogue with the person asking the question, but I imagine that this person may have to confront the issue of whether or not she thinks she is worthy of desiring. So, you know, do you feel clear that you are someone worth wanting and being with sexually, sexually? And if not, what makes that unclear to you? Right? Because a lot of times people want their spouse to make them feel like they are worthy through desiring them. And so if that spouse has had past sexual relationships or has had a, a relationship to pornography, that undermines that dependency, that, that um, punctures that dependency and makes it really hard. So the question I'm asking is, do you feel clear that you're someone worth desiring and being with? And I think, you know, I think that this person could feel unclear about that because she's maybe, as she said, he's had better. She's not performing as she thinks she should to be sufficient sexually or to satisfy him sexually. And maybe she thinks she doesn't fit the physical ideal if there is such a thing. And, you know, what my response is to that, if that is an issue for her or others, is that you're not a commodity. You know, a wife is not a commodity. You're not there just to manage his sexuality or to perform sufficiently for him. And I think that this idea of women in particular being a sexual commodity for their husbands is an artifact of perhaps two things. One is, I think, a general cultural or societal notion that's really alive now um, is that the construct of sex being transactional as, as, a, as something that you sort of give and receive, with, but not an expression of intimacy. Right? So I think our media culture and our advertising culture really sets up the idea that sex is a commodity that is offered in the hotter you are the more attractive you are, you know, the more transactional power you have in your relationships, uh, the more power you have in your relationships. Um, I think that's a way in which makes it easy for people to think of their sexuality as a commodity that's offered. Um, and I think the second way that we get that message is a lot of well-intentioned young women's lessons that really reinforce the idea that Women's sexuality in, particularly is, in particular is a commodity offered to their future husbands, that sex is for men, that men are the ones responsible to awaken your sexuality in you, um, and or that you should be there to just manage theirs. And I think that, you know, this is the offering 
essentially that you give your husband your access to your body, basically good sex in order to make yourself lovable and someone he's going to stay committed to, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a very transactional frame that we often set up in the way we talk to our young women. And not everyone was given those messages or received the messages that way, but many Mormon women have, many Mormon men have, even to think of themselves as sort of, this is something their good wife gives them, um, rather than this idea of, of a mutual um, relationship in which you're both giving and receiving pleasure and caring for one another. And so I think it obscures the real goal of loving sexuality, the real intention of it, which is a way for a husband and wife to really care for each other through your sexuality. So that means that the woman's desires in this question, her pleasure her need for time and exploring matters. It's extremely important because she needs to make time either in the relationship or with herself to cultivate what it is that she wants and who she is as a sexual being. Um, and because if it's a really, if, if it's an intimate engagement, an expression of who you each are and what you have with one another, uh, making space for the wife uh, to sort out what she wants and what she uh, desires and what feels pleasurable to her is extremely important just to balance the playing field a bit. So I think similarly and um, in line with the first idea is that I think some people are not clear that they have anything to offer compared to the images that their husband has seen or past girlfriends um, because um, how to say it that Basically, you have to be clear that if you're taking it out of the commodity frame, you have to be clear that being with you is qualitatively different, right? So it's not just, oh, he's already gotten sex or he's, all, he's seen much hotter looking women than I ever can be. Instead, the clarity, this issue of whether or not I'm desirable, I'm someone really worth being with in this way, is really what the core issue is. It's not just about, is he able to get sexual gratification outside of his relationship with me, the issue, I think, is whether or not, it's not just about him having sex, but having sex with you. And I think because of that commodity frame, for many women, it doesn't occur to them that this isn't just about getting sex. This is about being with me in a particular way that no other person or image can replace. And so uh, it's not about performance, but sharing yourself, right? Sharing your soul through the way that you're sexual. And I think just another issue that I think often makes this hard for people is that a lot of times in these situations, um, women can feel, I mean, obviously this can go in the opposite direction. And I've, I've definitely seen it in the opposite direction where the wife has had sex before marriage and then shows up to the marriage and the husband is a virgin. And it can even be more punctuated in some respects because the husband is supposed to know more about sex than the wife is. And so it can feel really threatening that he can't be the one who has the greater sexual prowess because that's supposedly how it's supposed to be. So clearly these kinds of issues happen in the reverse and they can be really daunting uh, in a marriage and in some ways maybe even more punctuated if they're in the reverse. But I think, uh, just to speak to this question in particular, I think that w if this person writing in feels threatened um, 
in the context that she's describing um, by the the people, the ghosts in her head um, of past girlfriends and the, the images that her husband may ha- hold in his head, that she, she or others in this situation often will make their body available, but not their heart because of their anger about it, right? And so they basically collude in the idea that it really is just about the sex because they don't bring their heart to the sex. They don't bring their soul there. And so they're withholding of their kindness. They're withholding of their warmth. And that while that can sometimes allow people to sort of, on a superficial level, feel either safer or they can feel like I'm not going to give you everything because I feel threatened and so I know how I can withhold from you, that when you make that move, you have now made yourself less secure, more uncertain, because now you really have made the sex being just about physical gratification, not about really being with you, and you've made yourself more insecure about whether or not the sex with you is worth wanting that whether or not being with you is really a positive and loving experience. And so, you know, if you make the sex cold, it can initially gratify you because you feel like, you know, I'm not, I feel insecure, so I'll withhold. But then it ultimately undermines the relationship and undermines your sense of basic um, desirability that I think is really important in a relationship. It's not just that it feels good to get the validation of your husband's desire, your spouse's desire. You have to really hold in a meaningful sexual relationship that you're worth choosing, that you're a good choice because of who you are and what you bring to the relationship. And I don't just mean because you're physically attractive, but because of the heart that you bring to the relationship, the heart that you bring to your sexual relationship. So, um, so while I can, I can see how it emerges for many people to engage in that pattern it's clearly entrapping. And the meaning frames, again, that we've inherited really set this up. They really do. It, they set us up to compete uh, because we haven't made sex about intimacy and about a form of expressing friendship and bringing kindness and bringing ourselves and looking for mutual pleasure together and blessing each other's lives through this very special way of being with someone that you love and that you choose. And so, um, you know, we're just, the commodity frame is really a destructive one. And so for this person, I would really recommend, I mean, I would recommend thinking about how you, the issue of your desirability, whether or not you think you are engaging in ways that undermine your security in the, and your clarity about your desirability. So if there's anything you need to confront to be more clear that being sexual with you is something special and important, right? Not because you can perform well, but, but because you have your warmth and who you are that you're bringing to that engagement. And if you're afraid to bring who you are to that engagement, then maybe that's something to work on. Like what, how can I pressure myself to show up more honestly and to show up more genuinely and bring my flawed self to him just as he brings his flawed self to me. I think that might also be valuable to um, read some books or, or access some resources that would allow you to cultivate your own 
relationship to your sexuality and to female sexuality in particular because of this whole frame around men's sexuality as being the way to have sex or the way to be with one another reinforces the problem. So yeah, I, I do teach a course, um, an online course called The Art of Desire that's very much um, the focus of the course is around helping women to forge their relationship to their own sexuality, to understand their own bodies better, to understand uh, women's eroticism better and how they relate to that. So I would recommend that course. And I also would recommend the book, She Comes First by, uh, we can link to it, but Ian, can't remember his last name right now, Ian somebody. And um, that that's an excellent book because I think it really looks at the issues of female eroticism and female arousal and allows um, the reader to get a better sense of what women's sexuality is about. Uh, that's Ian Kerner. And Kerner, that's it. we talked about that on part nine of this series. And uh, we yeah. also left a book list there. That's episode 66, part nine of this series where we gave Great. a bunch of resources. So you can Great. start there and then, then go to our courses or whatever else you need to do. Great. Um, one other thing that popped in my head we just I just released a, an episode about anger, and we talked about this idea of catharsis that's really from the ancient Greeks, that when something bad builds up inside you, whether it's physical or emotional, you have to purge it out of the system. And it's really, it's a nice metaphor, and it's because it's been around so long, we kind of believe that it's true, but uh, modern psychological research Shows it's not true. Shows yeah. it's not true that it, that mm -hmm. doing things to purge the anger promotes more, more aggressive behavior, more anger down the road. And Absolutely. it's we kind of have this idea. I think it's the same thing with our sexuality. It's like, well, you have to wait so long and then you can't handle it anymore. And so you release the, you open up the pressure valve yes. and relieve the pressure. And then we can start over again and things are right. okay. And our experience kind of, verifies that a little bit, but there's so much more to it than just checking it off the list or relieving the pressure. Yes, you know, absolutely. There's a lot more right. in the relationship than absolutely. just that. Right. There's a biological context for sexual desire, but it certainly doesn't capture the multiply determined uh, factors in sexual desire. And right. It's not some fixed quantity. That, that's how humans are different than dogs. You know, I mean, other animals copulate, they reproduce, but there's no eroticism. There's no meaning to their sexuality. They don't have, they don't use it as a way to express love and the depth of commitment. And that's why human eroticism is so fantastic because it can't, I mean, you can use sexuality in horrible, awful ways and be very destructive with it, of course. But the other thing is that you can use sexuality to really, really care for someone else and to care for yourself. And so I think to this question is, I, I am actually participating in keeping sex at a very superficial and transactional level. And can I really engage in this marriage and in this friendship in a way in which I'm really bringing my heart to my spouse and bringing myself to this relationship as a way to really care for him and to care for me? That's the opportunity that's there for this person. I mean, yeah, the whole thing 
you know, creates a lot of thoughts for me, but I don't know if I'm actually going to, I would actually be adding anything because I would just be thinking of like, well, yes, maybe if we hadn't suppressed female sexuality, we wouldn't be having these problems quite so much. Um, but I mean, that, that's stuff that we've talked about so much already mm-hmm. about, you know, women being afraid of their own sexuality and, you know, just hearing that it's for me, it's more, I, I mean, I'm insanely curious what our world would be like if we lived in a world where females were allowed to, in a sense, own their sexuality um, and not make it a commodity, but that right. it is theirs. Like, I just, I mean, I, I try to imagine that and I've been so saturated in my culture and so saturated in, you know, how I'm taught to view sex that I, I can't even fathom what that would be like on a it's, I can barely fathom it for myself sometimes. So, um, you know, it's hard right. to fathom on a how would society be different if we did not view sex as a commodity that is, you know, it's like a transaction that is forbidden until this point. In and yes, and and I think you know, um, I don't know if this is in what you're saying, Laurel, or not, but I'm hearing it in what you're saying, which is, you know, one of the that clearly that is the context of this question without any doubt. And this couple has come into the frame that is keeping them stuck, honestly, meaning they've been offered that frame. But also I often, when I talk to women about their relationship to their spouse and to their sexuality, I try very hard to not collude in the idea that women are just victims of the frame that like this person has the ability and the power within herself to pressure the relationship and the sexuality up to a higher level based on what she chooses. And, you know, seeing it allows you to, to assert different choices, but, uh, you know, she has, I mean, I'm just making up things about this person. I don't know, you know, (laughs) but she has more in, in my, what I imagine is this person has more ability to pressure herself and this relationship to actually become, to create a sexual relationship that's more worth wanting, uh, that has a higher level of meaning and that she has a lot of power over affecting that based on what she does within herself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that, that's something, especially over doing these that I've started to, to really realize we like, we don't understand exactly how much power within a relationship, I, I think both men and mm-hmm. women, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think in the church, it's like, we've been, I, in a way, I feel like we've been told so long what we're not supposed to do. Our behavior has mm-hmm. been so regulated, um, you know, for, for various reasons. And some of them are very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. but then when we break out of it, there's not, there's no model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, people still want to, I, I feel like, you know, for me and people I've talked to about it, we still feel like we want to go back to something like, well, something is supposed to tell me how to do this, right? Because that's yes. how I've lived sexuality up until this point. That's right. Um, and uh, and that was the thing I, I realized. Like, I There are so few models um, of, of what, I mean, I, it's true for men too, but, um, <laughs> but I'm specifically thinking of for women. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so few models of healthy sexuality in the sense of a woman who... Um, owns her own sexuality and it's done in a healthy way. It's not right. a lot of times when I see it done in movies, it's like, Oh, she sleeps with whoever she wants to. I'm like, but it's right. still, but she Absolutely. still is doing it in a way that is meant to titillate men. <laughs> you know, That's exactly right. So um, I think that the, you know, the sexual revolution model is still not about women's agency. I still think it's about basically either 
either mimicking the kind of traditional dynamic where women can also now take the heart out of sex if they want to, just like mm-hmm. men have traditionally, um, and or that they're basically still functioning from a sexist commodity position, now just making themselves more sexually accessible, you know, without the commitment, right? It used to be traditionally the women would withhold sex as a way to secure commitment and be the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Now the ethic is, you know, be sexually available. That's what makes you desirable and worthy. And it's not really about women's increased agency and, and s- literal strength um, in their relationships. And in terms of like a model, I mean, I think we need to create the model through our choices. But I think that basically the question is, how do I create goodness here? How do I buoy both of us up with my sexuality? How do I make my sexuality be about really caring for you and caring for me too and really bring my heart to this interaction? That's sexual agency. I mean, that's creating goodness in sex in a way that's not about submitting and it's about actually having the power to affect life, to affect the relationship, to affect goodness. And so, you know, we got to get out of this and we're being acted upon frame or that you're acting with the same level of hostility that you think has been directed at you, you know, either through withholding or, or taking the heart out of sex. Instead, you know, you bring your, your courage and your strength to your sexual interactions. And women have as much ability to do that as men do. So let's move on to question two. Move along. Move along. Move along. So question two. I've looked everywhere and I can't find an answer to the pressing question I've been wrestling with for a couple weeks. I'm currently active duty military and there are times where I must leave for days, weeks, or months at a time. Though I'm busy with the task at hand, I still have personal time where I can call and talk to my wife and kids. We sometimes Skype so the kids can see a face to put with the voice, especially with our one-year-old. But I see my wife, and I notice how beautiful she is, and we both just light up with the love we have for one another. So my question is, where does the church stand on long-distance sexual relationships? Is it wrong for me to look at my wife with sexual desire being long distance? If she wanted to send me pictures of herself, is that classified as porn, even though it's just of my significant other whom I'm married to? Can we engage in mutual sexual acts as long as it's with each other? I've been so stressed with this pressing issue, and when one or the other has the urge, it really taps into pent-up sexual frustration and leads to both parties sometimes snapping at each other. Sometimes I can't focus as much as I need to when time away starts building up. I want to be a worthy priesthood holder and take my family to the temple as well as have the Spirit be with me. I need Heavenly Father's guidance and protection, especially within my line of work. I hope to hear back from you soon. Thank you. Okay, so this person's question for me speaks to how much we as a church people are obedience-focused as a measure of goodness rather than developing our ability to make wise decisions based on true or sound principles. And uh, I think sometimes we're so afraid of making a mistake that we really entrap ourselves around these kinds of questions, like questions like this that there really is no answer to. Nobody's going to talk about whether or not phone sex is legitimate probably over the pulpit, nor do I think that they really should, because I think I think as a people, 
we we certainly get the message around obedience a lot, and I think we also buy into it. We want the safety of feeling like there are answers and that we can kind of have the security that God approves of our behavior rather than I think what's more developmentally challenging but really essential to becoming more godlike, which is the ability to to think about the our intentions, the intentions of our heart, the context in which we're making those choices, and to really discern what is goodness in this context, what is actually to create goodness or to do good, and to take responsibility for our choices. So I think, you know, that obedience that we often you know, and this person's not alone, you know, this is this is very much the kinds of questions that I get a lot of. It's it's not a function of faith, even though we sometimes talk that way, that our desire to be obedient is a function of wanting to do God's will. I actually think a lot of times it's driven more by our fear than our faith. And it's a it's too limited of an idea about God and what our purpose is here on earth. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for obedience in the sense that, you know, aligning ourselves with true principles is ultimately liberating and important, but we have to step beyond that and really stretch ourselves to actually discern and live by what we think is best in any situation. So to this person's question, I mean, the question I think he's really asking, is this an appropriate form in which to be sexual with my wife? Because clearly, you know, missionary position sex in our bed is, but is this somehow an evil form or a dangerous form or something? But I think the way that I approach these questions and the way I think about it is that the position of your body or who's touching which part is not the issue that makes sex righteous or unrighteous or good or evil. The issue is what's in your heart? What's your intention? What is your behavior creating or cultivating? And so it seems really evident to me in this question that this person's intention or the intention of this couple is to really care for their sexual relationship um, and to care for each other in a way that makes sense given the distance that they have to tolerate. So I can't personally think of a single reason and Brian, help me out if you can think of something, why this would be anything other than than totally acceptable. And not only that, I would say wrong to not engage this way with one another because, you know, you care about each other, you're in a committed sexual relationship. How else can you live up to your commitment to one another if not to get creative? <laughs> so I would say absolutely send pictures of each other. It's a wonderful idea. I mean, of course, you want to make sure that it's secure for your sake of your privacy, but but absolutely, yes, because I think not only is it a way of maintaining this important part of your connection with each other, but I think it also opens up the possibility of exploring different elements of your desire for each other. And I think it even fosters a kind of healthy objectification in marriage that sometimes gets lost when couples see each other every day and, you know, they can kind of normalize the other person and not see them the way that they used to see them when they first fell in love and so on. And I think when you have the, the physical distance, it allows you to really see and appreciate the physicality of your spouse, to appreciate their beauty, to appreciate their desirability because they aren't just you know, in an arm's distance away from you. I think it's also a wonderful way to be creative or to get in touch with elements of your own sexuality in the process of sharing it in a different way. 
And, you know, the, the thing that's so great about this is that there's it, in a committed loving relationship, it only has an upside. You have like really full permission to, to figure out ways to really care for each other in this way. Now, I mean, I, while it has its upsides, I'm sure it's still certainly not the same as physically being together and not as comforting as physically being together, but it does open up other possibilities. And I, I definitely think if it's going to help you each out in your respective aloneness and what you each have to sort of manage without the comfort of each other's, other's presence, most certainly find a way to care for each other this way. So that's my response. Yeah. So I can't, I don't, I can't think of any problem with, you know, what he's suggesting. So Mm -hmm. I guess the only thing is if they really value the endure to the end principle, then maybe they really (laughs) just want to endure to the end, but it sounds like that's not um, what he's going for here. So I think, (laughs) uh, I think they're fine. Laurel, what are your thoughts on this situation? I think you need to add a wah, wah sound effect to <laughs> I, that. I, can, <laughs> I think you just <laughs> added it right there. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't even know if it's so much that it's not talked about as much as the, the ways you would communicate with your partner sexually when you're physically apart are traditionally heaped with so much guilt and shame and they're, they're usually associated with things people do when they're not married. Um, mm. Like, oh, look at pictures of naked people. That's pornography. That's what you do. Mm. That's Or either it's not your spouse or something else. Or like, oh, phone sex. That's a dirty yeah. thing people do. Um, and so it's not... And that's yeah. what I, you know... I, I think there can also be a hesitation just over literally the form of how it's you know, how sexuality is expressed has so much cultural baggage Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that it can get really hard to, to even feel, to, to feel safe doing it. Cause it's, I mean, you know, yes. talk about even having sex, feeling guilty as a Mormon, then all these other things that, <laughs> you know, make right. you feel guilty still. Yeah. So I absolutely think that's true that we, we, connect it to what naughty people do, so to speak. And then I think the other thing is that it's one thing to be comfortable with your sexuality, with the lights out, under the covers, in a very prescribed context, to know that you've kind of mastered that. It's another thing to be taking seductive pictures of yourself and to say, like, can I be that person too? Like, can I be comfortable enough with my sexuality that I'm going to kind of express it in this way and share it in this way. I mean, it requires more self-validation, more ability to really embrace your sexuality and embrace the legitimacy of it because you're stepping outside of a frame that you've mastered. And so I definitely think it pulls at that level too. So, you know, I think what couples do in relationships very quickly is they make sex pretty darn boring. And the reason they do is they quickly kind of go down to the lowest common denominator or what is kind of acceptable, what they know is sort of acceptable by the other person. And then often people don't want to really stretch that frame or ask for more or expose more about themselves because it, it, it requires taking a risk around, can I even validate this part of my sexuality? Is he or she going to be okay with it? And so that 
lowest common denominator sex can get really boring after a while. And I, I don't mean like couples have to be so adventurous that they're, you know, constantly coming up with new things to do because, you know, there's only so much one can do. But I think that uh, it's a way of, am I willing to kind of express parts of myself that I haven't yet expressed or, or sh- bring my sexuality more wholeheartedly or in different ways to our relationship? There's plenty of ways people can keep their married sexual relationship exciting if they would let themselves take more healthy risks, meaning risks that won't undermine either of them or the relationship, but will expand their notion of one another. So what is often exciting for people when they do these kinds of things is not just, oh, there's a picture of my wife and it's so uh, you know nice to see a picture of her, but it, it's the excitement of actually exploring a new dimension of your relationship, a new dimension of yourselves. That's what makes that's what makes both sex and relationships exciting is when the relationship cultivates growth and expansion. And often we resist it in relationships to keep a sense of safety, but then it undermines the thrill and the excitement and the sense of really seeing the other person as, as their own person and separate from you rather than just an extension of you. So, so anyway, I think there's lots of opportunity here for this couple and many couples in this way. And what you're saying speaks to uh, the first question in some ways where it's not so much checking something off the list, but the relationality of the experience. It's not just doing something new. It's, you know, having your closest partner, your spouse, accept you doing something new and doing it right with you. That's right. That would that would make that's it right. uh, exciting and and worthwhile. Right. And the, and you know that's what that's when you really have the most amazing thing you can have on earth <laughs> in my opinion is a passionate committed marriage. And when you can when you can craft that with one another there's like high meaning, high levels of acceptance, high levels of exposure and still the real clarity that this person is separate from me. And this person chooses me day after day after day and doesn't have to. And, you know, that's when you can have the best party right at home. <laughs> and so it's, it's really what so many of us want. And then we do things that work against the creation of it. Because we want safety sometimes more than we want that. But safety in a, in a dead way, not in a, not in a, um, in a true sense of safety. All right. Um, Thank you again, Jennifer, for coming on and answering some questions. I think these are, as I read these questions beforehand, I thought, well, geez, these sound like situations that would come up all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this will help a lot of people um, think about their relationships more deeply. So Jennifer and Laurel, thanks again for being on the podcast, being part of this series. And we will talk to you again in a month. Great. Great. Well, there you are, another installment in the favorite series from the Rational Face podcast. As usual, if you have any questions of your own, feel free to leave a comment in the blog posting, anonymous if you please, or you can send an email to askdrfife at rationalface.com. While you're here and listening, I'd like to ask you for a favor. 
If you appreciate the ideas presented and discussed in this podcast, please go to iTunes. Go to the Rational Face Podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and a short review. Even if this is the only series that you listen to, you can write that in the rating. You can say, all I do is listen to sex talk on Rational Face, and it's wonderful. Just leave us a review. Increasing our visibility on iTunes and having individuals share episodes are the only ways that we have in increasing our listenership. And that's something that we want to do. So, hey, help a guy out, won't you? As for next week, you can look forward to a dive between the scriptures as Colby Shelton and I explore the space between the Old and the New Testaments. So look forward to that, and until next time, keep keeping it weird. Thank you.